0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Here's what we're doing tonight, uh, church people. We are ending um, our series. We've been in this series for six weeks. Uh, on church people. Uh, it has been so, so cool to just get to partner with Josh and walk through what it looks like uh, for us, those in this room who claim to be people who follow Christ, who represent Christ and as representatives of Christ uh, representing his church, and what that looks like. And so we have talked about um, this, this pendulum between um, repression and being a people and a church people repressed versus a people who we are called to be that live these free lives, not these restrictive lives but these lives. Of freedom for freedom, Christ set us free. We've talked about uh, condemning versus being compassionate to the world around us and what, how Christ did that. We talked about being culturally relevant and the posture of that. Uh, we talked about justice and how we're supposed to step into that. We talked about generosity. Tonight we're talking about holiness. We're going to talk about holiness tonight. Uh, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture. Um, We'll throw it up on the screens to make it easy, but my hope is that we are just going to worship and continue this worship of a holy God and look at his holiness and what it means and define it for a good chunk of time and then talk about how how we do that and how we get that there and then the band's going to come up and we are going to worship a holy God. And then if you join us next week, we're going to move all the chairs like Robert said, and we are going to worship a holy God. Why? Because he is worthy of our worship. Because he is holy. Because he is worthy of our worship is why we do that. That's why singing is not the only way we worship. But we sing and we worship in that way. Um because it's not about us. And so those of us in this room who don't have a good voice, right? Those of us who don't know the words, those of us, this worship isn't about us. And so that's why we do it. That's why we make much of it because this isn't about us. This isn't about us. And so uh, that's, that's where we're going. Um, that's where we're going, honestly, the next couple of weeks. And then, and then after, after next week, we'll start a whole new series, which I think you guys are going to, um, Honestly, I think you're going to love it. I also think you're going to be really challenged by it, and you're going to hate us sometimes, which would be great. Um, but we'll, we'll preview that uh, here in the next week or so. So uh, why holiness? Why, why are we ending this series? Because it's been a really fun series to sit under Josh teaching and fun series to teach myself. Why end on holiness? And, and here's why. I love preaching about the compassion of God. Right? I love preaching about a compassionate God. I love preaching about a compassionate God towards wicked sinners like me. I love preaching about uh, freedom over restrictive religion, uh, how Jesus got in the dirt with his people that he loved. Um, and without limiting any of those things that are true and characteristics of who God is and how he's called us to love and how he loved, without limiting all there is this beautiful balance that we are also called to be radically holy. As he has also called us to be culturally relevant and compassionate and empathetic with other people, Those that is not mutually exclusive to this radical command that he gives us to be holy. As church people, if you are a believer in this room and you represent Christ, then part of that representation should be a holiness in how you and how I live my life. And sometimes, honestly, I would rather not preach about holiness, but instead just simply preach about the grace that gets me there or preach about how I should be more relevant. And so, man, that's why we wanted to end it this way. Uh, we want to be people who are culturally relevant, who are compassionate, who, who do are justice-fighting generous people, but also people who are holy as our God is holy. Why do we need to be holy as our God is holy? 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16, 14 through 16, says this, it shows us that holiness is a command, right? It is a part of God's design for his glory. In first Peter, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's calling a contrast in your life now. No longer be this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your contact in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God commands us to be holy. He is holy, and he says, you, if you're my kids, if you're my followers, if you represent me, then I am commanding you to also be holy as I am holy. So what we need to do is we need to define holiness. So we're going to spend a good chunk of time just defining holiness. What do we mean by that? We throw around that word. What's that mean? R.C. Sproul wrote a book called The Holiness of God. Uh, I love his definition of holiness. Uh, He kind of breaks it down in three tiers when he defines holiness. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. He says holiness is kind of a three-faceted thing. It is transcendent majesty. It is infinite moral purity, and it is hatred of all sin. Don't you love when somebody tries to define a word with three phrases that make it infinitely more complicated to understand? I love that, clearly. Um, But I I really think there is a depth and a beauty to holiness uh, that isn't an oversimplified thing. And so I want us to look at that and where he gets that. And I think one of the, let me give you a picture of holiness in Scripture. Uh, Let me give you this picture. It's in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. And this is often talked about when we talk about the holiness of God. Isaiah says this, Here's this little glimpse, an Old Testament prophetic book, where we see these creatures of glory worshiping God on his throne, and and worshiping such a holy God, they can't look at him. And so these beasts that cover their eyes with their wings, and cover their feet with their wings as they fly, and as they repeat over and over and over again, holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, something really interesting, even about, uh, even about this idea of holy, holy, holy. Uh, in the Hebrew language, when they did that, when they would make this kind of rhetorical device to say holy, holy, to repeat it three times, uh, it was a way of them saying to infinite holiness, right? And it's a unique thing that happens in the Old Testament and in, in the Hebrew, specifically in the Old Testament, where um, the Old Testament writers don't throw that around a lot. Right? They don't say majestic, 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 or loving, 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 or, or gracious, 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 but they say holy, 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 and, and holiness is put oftentimes in these stanzas of three to communicate. This holiness is unending. It is an infinite, repeat, repeating it three times, showing this, this rhetorical device that it is an infinite holiness that the God we worship has. And so even in this picture, we see this transcendent majesty of God in his holiness, uh, this, this idea and the symbolism of his robe that filled the temple. Uh, we see this infinite moral purity of a holy, holy, holy God who is set apart and who does, uh, as we see in scripture, uh, despise sin here is uh, the, the closest definition to the word holiness in, in Hebrew uh, breaks down as equivalently uh, the word separate or even set apart. And so just even for tonight, as we think about what it practically means, we're, we're commanded by our God to be holy if we say we follow him, if we want to represent him, if we love him, we're commanded to it. What does that holiness really look like? I think one of the best ways to really bring it down and really define it in the easiest sense is just to say, man, are we set apart? Are you, brother and sister in Christ, set apart? God's people recognize that God is set apart after they get set free from slavery. One of the first times that we see this happen where God's people really realize, okay, this God is completely set apart, is the Jewish people are in bondage and slavery in Egypt. God, through miraculous plagues, sets them free. They, the, he parts the Red Sea as the Egyptians chase after them. They come through the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes up, and they see their enemies swallowed up by this ocean that they just walked through by a gracious God, and their response is in Exodus fifteen eleven. They say, "'Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders?' Our God is set apart. Who is like him? When we sing of his holiness and when we sing of his worthiness, do we recognize who is like this God? There is no one. There is nothing else I can chase. There is nothing else I can pursue that is like this God. He is truly holy. He is truly set apart. He is truly different than anything else I could worship or obey or follow or validate me. God's people recognize this. So what does this look like for us? For us to be set apart, what's that look like? And I'm gonna gonna try to define three facets of what being set apart looks like for us real practically. So as we walk out of here, we can say, okay, what are the ways I need to grow and and lean into the Lord to be set apart? Uh, And the first one is we are called to be set apart in character. We're called to be set apart, to be holy in our character as God is holy, we too are holy, and, uh, and I, I want to take us to Galatians 5 um, to show us what that looks like in kind of this example that we're set, and I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here, and I'm honestly not going to have time to really unpack all of this, and where I'm really leading us to is verse 22, where we get to see the fruit of the Spirit, but I want to I start back in verse 16, because I want you to see the contrast, and I want you to hear the contrast before we get to verse 22, where we get to hear all these awesome characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. I want us to see where we came from. So verse 16 in Galatians 5, Paul says this. He says, but I say, here's his command. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And now he's going to, he, so he's, he's created this dichotomy, right? There's the spirit and there is the flesh. The spirit is going to produce something in you. The flesh is going to every time produce something. Both of these things are guaranteed to produce their results. And he says, man, you cannot do both. And he says, look at what the flesh produces. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists off some of them. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So before I get to the awesome verse 22, I just want us to see that the flesh produces these things that aren't holy, right? It produces these things that, that God does not love, that God commands us to flee from, that God commands us to run from. And he gives this laundry list of things that might be being produced by the flesh in our life. And, I, and I, I think it's easy to look at them and be like, okay, I mean, orgies and sorcery, like those aren't as much everyday temptations, right, for a lot of us, except for you Harry Potter fans out there. Like, that's not as big of a deal. Um, but I love that he, I mean, but the reality is I love that he l- makes this list to say, I man, that the fruits of the flesh or things like these, and he gives this range things like sorcery, but then he also says, man things like jealousy. who in this room does not struggle with jealousy and who in this room does not struggle with envy as you watch someone else get promoted, as you see someone else succeed, as you see somebody else get engaged, as you see someone who in this room does not struggle with impurity, right If, if our God in the context of we worship is this perfect and pure God. And my impure thoughts, my impure life, idolatry, anything I worship before Jesus, anything that I find my value and my satisfaction in over Christ, that's idolatry. Idolatry in our context doesn't just mean I build, you know, totem poles and worship them. It means I find my worship and my satisfaction in these things like the approval of men, because I get a high off of, man, if a lot of people like me, I can find my worship in what other people think of me. I can find my worship in my status or work. I can find my worship in money. I can find my worship in all of these other things. I can find, I make those things idols. I make those things false gods that I'm chasing and pursuing and desiring. And so that's what the, the flesh produces, right? But then, then we see what, And it's set apart in our character, what it looks like, what it shows up as. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If you ever hear the, the phrase, man, what comes out of you when you get squeezed, right? What comes out of us when we get squeezed? Is it love and joy and peace and patience? Or is it the flesh? Are we set apart in our character? Is our character these loving things? I, I think honestly, a lot of this series, the first five weeks, where a lot of the character of who God was, compassionate, even fighting for justice, those things are things that fit within the character of God, of goodness, faithfulness. What happens when you get squeezed? Um, this was last Friday. Last Friday, I was like, man, I'm going to go be a great dad. That's what I decided. I was like, I'm just going to get dad points everywhere, and I'll probably talk about it in an illustration, and everyone will think I'm great. Uh, this is going to work out well for me. So I took my two boys, Charlie who's six, Miles who's three. We went to Old South. Yep, that's right. That's right. It's crazy unhealthy, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, good times. They thought it was great. Um, ate some pancakes, and then we were gonna to go to the museum. The museum opens at 10, just so you guys know, on Friday. So uh, we were gonna to go to the museum, but it was like 9.15, and so there's this really cool park called Dream Park that the city built, or some rich guy built, and put his name on it, and it's this free park, not too far from the museum. We thought, man, I'm gonna take my kids to Dream Park, and we're gonna play and have a good time. And so I take them, and I'm just winning the Dad of the Year Award, and there we are. And it's like, dude, I went to Old South with my boys, and now we're going to the museum, and this, we're just killing time at this awesome park. I rule awesome dad. My youngest son, Miles. It's a beautiful day, by the way, right? It hadn't rained at this point. This was last Friday. It hadn't rained in years around here, dry as a bone. The weather wasn't awful, right? Because it's like 9.15 in the morning. Somebody had, there's a tree in the middle of the park, and somebody had watered the tree, right? Because that's what you do, so trees don't die. They watered the tree, and there was, guys, a small, small, stream of water just run off from the tree. Not a big deal, right? There's the tree in the middle and just a small stream of water and it had pooled in a little spot. My three-year-old goes in the entire massive park with all these cool things and like Dr. Seuss looking slides and zip lines and like pettings. It's just this massive thing, right? My three-year-old goes and sees the puddle of water and just sits in it. (laughs) He just sits in it. And he sits in it for a while, and he's happy when he first gets in it. And then he gets out of it. And then as soon as he gets out of it, he's like, oh, this sucks, I don't like being wet. (laughs) And so he comes up to me. He's like, Dad, I'm all wet, I'm all wet. And he turns around, and sure enough, he's just completely wet. I don't have a change of shorts, right? Like, we're about to go to the museum, right? I don't I'm not prepared for him to sit in a puddle of water. The only puddle in all of Fort Worth was there. And my three-year-old found it and he sat in it. And then he's like crying and he's upset because his bottom and his shorts are honestly just soaking wet. And, and I was squeezed and you know what came out of me? You know what came out of me? Miles, you are wearing wet shorts all day. You're a poo-poo head, right? Which to say poo-poo head in my family is the equivalent of the F-bomb, right, with my three-year-old. So I, I just dropped the equivalent of the poo-poo head F-bomb on him and just, I would, like, my amygdala fired, which is that thing that, like, keeps your, it blocks your frontal cortex so I could no longer reason. And I was just upset, right? I was frustrated and upset. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. The only puddle in all of Fort Worth he found, he sat in it. Now I've got a crying kid. And, like, there were, like, a lot of other moms there. Well, the dads, because no, no dads as good as me. But there were a lot of other moms moms. <laughs> a lot of other moms. Are, although I was the dad that was pouting in the corner, upset and frustrated that my son has now ruined his shorts, and now he's crying the whole time because he's upset because he's in wet shorts. Um, there's not a good ending to the story, by the way. That's basically where it ends, and that was the rest of our day. <clears throat> my point is this. My point is, man, when I'm squeezed, I want the fruit of the Spirit to come out of me, man. I want, I want my character to be like, oh, son, let me knit you some new shorts, right? Like I wanna, I wanna just I want I want that. I when I'm squeezed, and that's an easy example, right? Cause that's just this fun easy and when I'm squeezed so often, what comes out of me is not love and peace and patience. It's frustration, it's anger, it's, it's, it comes from this lack of control, this unmet expectation that now these expectations are going to happen. My son's going to be crying the whole time, he's upset, there's not a way I can problem solve unless I drive back home. Like all of those things, and that's what comes out. Now what comes out, what is the fruit that's produced in your life? Is your character set apart? Is your character set apart? If you are a church person and you represent Christ with your life, is the fruit of the Spirit what shows up? It's One of the ways that we're called to be holy, set apart in our character. Another way is set apart in our obedience. Are you set apart in your obedience? John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands, he says. Follow what I say. If you love me. I've given you my words, I've given you my commands, I've given you what is wise, I've given you how to live, follow my commands. Are we set apart in our obedience? The degree or the the weight of our sin is is proportionate oftentimes um, to the excellence and the worthiness of who we're sinning against. Let me explain what I just said there. So often the degree of how my sin uh, is weighted has to do with the context of who I'm sinning against. And uh, here's what I mean by that. Um, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book, uh, because I'm going to steal this illustration from him, so I want to give him credit. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. And in it, he gives this illustration to this point of if, if you have a $300 Target rug, right, and it's a great rug, and I come over to your house and I spill red wine on it right, I just spill red wine on your $300 target run, that's a bummer, right, that's a bummer, and that's 300 bucks, and that's not fun, and that's gonna create some tension, probably in our relationship. However, if you have a $30,000 rug, right, if you somehow, I'm not sure how, but let's say you have a 30, which is probably a bad investment for some of you guys in this room, but if you have a $30,000 rug, and I come and I spill the same red wine on your $30,000 rug, the degree of how big of a deal that is is exponentially larger, right? When we sin, Psalm 51 says, David, when he sins against the Lord, he, he has a guy murdered, he cheats and, and sleeps with his wife, and this woman gets pregnant and then, and then kills the man who was already married to the woman and does all this awful stuff. When he's busted in his sin, you know what David says in Psalm 51 in his, when he gets busted? He says, against you and you alone I have sinned, Lord, because our sin is always against the holy, worthy God. He is the lawgiver. He is the standard. He is the perfection. He is the one worthy of my worship. Yes, of my obedience. Yes, he is the one worthy of my obedience. He's the one worthy. To, if I love him, I will keep his commands. And so when I don't keep his commands and when I sin against him, I'm not just sinning against the $300 rug. I'm sinning against a 30, I'm sinning against an infinitely holy God. Are you set apart in your obedience? I'm not going to go through a list of ways that you might or might not be obedient. I don't think I need to. I think you're savvy enough. I think the Spirit of God in this room will gently bring to conviction ways. that says, you're not set apart in this area of obedience. And don't just think of um, sins of commission, things that you are doing in disobedience. What are the things that you're not doing? The sins of omission. The things that God has said do this. So often we just think, well, I'm pretty obedient. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this as much anymore. But, I mean, his commands, are we making disciples? Are we loving? Are we laying down our lives? Are we, are we, are we being radically obedient to who God has told us to be and the God that we've been asked to follow, that we get to follow, that has adopted us? What's that look like for you? Are you set apart in your obedience? And then the third little facet of this kind of holiness of how I want to define it for us is are we set apart in our worship? Are we set apart? Is there holiness in our worship? And here's what I mean by that. Um, I'm gonna take you to Revelation chapter two. Um, Revelation chapter two uh, is this, Awesome passage. It, it's actually something we've been preaching here at the Mothership. So those guys who were plugged into Christ Chapel, uh, Cody's been going through this series on the seven churches in Revelation. And a couple of weeks ago, I think he did Ephesus, which is which is what I'm going to read for us here. Um, and if you're not plugged in here, man, get plugged in here. It, it's been a real, especially this series has been just such a sweet series to look at um, Jesus' words to these churches and how it relates to us. Uh, here's what. Here's what it says in Revelation 2. Here's what happens with the church at Ephesus and how Jesus kind of calls them out. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for for my name and have not grown weary. This is great. This is great news. This is a church that is following the commands of God. These are church people who are following, they are set apart in their obedience. It, It would appear their even character and their obedience seems pretty set apart, man. They're doing the right thing, they're living the right way, they're not growing weary in obeying God. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. When I talk about being set apart in worship, what I mean there is um, man, is our affections. Are we set apart in our affections? The Lord doesn't just care about our obedience. Uh, he doesn't just care about uh, the obedience and the fruit outwardly. He cares about the motivation behind it. Are we set apart in the way that we love and worship and our affections When I say worship, our affections being stirred for the Lord, for that is where our obedience comes from. I might be a really good husband on paper and do the right things. I got a date night, I do the dishes, I do this, I do that. And I might follow those rules. But if those things, that if I read a book on what it means to be a good husband, and I follow the checklist, but I don't love and have affection for my wife, then I could tell you, Danielle would be like, I don't care about those things. I don't care about the dishes and the laundry if you don't have affection for me, if it's not coming from a place of affection. When we talk about holiness, we mean, are we set apart? Are we holy in that way? Is our motivation pure? Is our motivation holy and pure that all of this is coming from a place where we say, God, you're worthy. You are worthy, God. God. You are worthy of our life. You are worthy of our character and our obedience. You are worthy. Are we set apart in our worship? He cares about our motivation. He cares about our heart. He cares about that, that worship that comes from our heart. So how? How do we do this? How do we walk in this holiness? This is what it looks like. These, these three facets that we can't can't wiggle out of them. We can't just say, well, I'm pretty obedient here, but man, what's really squeezed when, you know, you might be following the rules, but what's the fruit of the Spirit look like in your life and where's your heart? How do we do this? Because get this, Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture says no one is righteous, no, not one. Scripture says that our good deeds are filthy rags, so even our best works, our best attempt to have these set-apart Deeds is still just filthy rags. Paul in Romans 7 even wrestles with this tension of why do I do the things that I don't want to do and, and, and don't do the things I want to do? Why, why do I still have this tension? Why? We cannot produce this holiness in and of ourself. We can't produce this holy. We're called to be holy as he is holy. We see that holiness is the set-apartness in our character and our obedience and our worship, and yet we cannot do it on our own. We are powerless to produce holiness and to set ourselves apart in and of ourselves because we are dead. We are dead, Ephesians 2 says. We cannot do it. I'm going to tell you how, but I'm going to tell you the wrong way first, and then I'm just going to end with just some the only good news worth listening to. So often, we talk about holiness, we hear about holiness, man, I want to, I'm called to do this, I want, he's worthy of my holiness, he's worthy to live a life that's set apart, okay, I'm gonna do it, and what happens is we fall into the trap of behavior modification. I'm supposed to be more loving, I'm just gonna be loving. I'm supposed to be more obedient, I'm just gonna modify my behavior to where I can be more obedient. And we fall into this trap where all of a sudden we've just just slipped into legalism, We've taken God's command to be holy, and in a well intentioned way, we've just turned it into a checklist, grit our teeth, and just try to be holiness. Whereas the truth is that we were dead in our sins. Dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 says. I'm gonna read it to you because it's so good. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience. You were dead. Dead men can't modify their behavior. But God, but God being rich in mercy, verse 4 says, because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith. How do we become holy? We place our faith in Christ Jesus. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We put our belief and our faith in a God who sent a savior for us 2,000 years ago, who lived a perfect and holy and set apart life in every way and died a horrible death, taking all of the wrath that belongs on my sin, all of the wrath that belongs on my sin, all of the wrath that belongs on your sin, was put on the cross, hung on a perfect savior's life, so that he might die for us, so that he might rise again. So how we become holy is we put our faith in that and we surrender our life to that, and we say, Lord, I want to produce the fruit of holiness, but I can't, f- I can't just make plastic fruit. I can, but we know it's not real. Lord, would I surrender? Would I surrender to you? Would I put my faith in you? Um, there's people in this room who I believe need to do that for the first time. This room tonight, there are people in this room who I believe need to do that for the first time. And you are exhausted. You are exhausted at trying to be good enough, trying to be right enough, trying to be holy enough, trying to find that thing. And tonight is a night where I am urging you. I believe the Spirit of God is urging you. I don't believe I need to say anything else, but the Spirit of God is convicting you to say, surrender your life to me. Recognize that you are a sinner who will never be able to be holy and righteous in yourself. And recognize you have a holy God who came and died for you and rose again and now intercedes and put your faith in that. And say, my life is no longer my own. Go to the Lord tonight and say, God, my life is no longer my own. I want your holiness that comes from a relationship with you. So I surrender my life to you. I accept your gift of grace. I accept your adoption that you have for me. All of these promises, despite how far you've gone, despite how dead you were, somebody who's been dead a year and somebody who's been dead a hundred years, doesn't matter, they're dead. And our God says, I will bring you back to life. I believe there are people in this room who the Lord says, tonight I want you forever. I also believe there are people in this room who've heard this a thousand times. Would you not leave here tonight? Would you not respond in worship from a place of saying, yeah, that's great, that's the gospel. I love the gospel. The gospel was kind of the thing that got me into my relationship with Christ, and lose the fact that the gospel is the thing that we need every single day. The same reality tonight that I get to say I am a broken sinner who's absolutely still just as much in need of I've been saved and God will never let me go, but my ability to produce fruit, my ability to be holy, my ability to be set apart in any way comes from the fact that today I have all of a sudden find my faith in other things other than Christ. And so Lord, would you show me where those things are? Would you show me where I'm disobedient? Would you show me where my heart and my affirmation and my affections are plugged into? And would I repent of those things? Would I change from those things? Would I see your kindness? Would I see your grace that you offer? That you offer grace to broken sinners while we were dead, while we were sinners, you died for us? And would we see that? And would we never grow tired of that? If we've heard it a thousand times or a million times, that tonight we say, yes, I need the gospel to transform me. I need the gospel so that I might be set apart. I need to put my belief and my faith in Jesus fully. And the places where I pull those roots out of Christ and start putting them in self or others or other things, tonight, Lord, I want to replant them in you. Would that be what he does in this room for his glory because he is worth it. Our holiness for his glory. Let me pray for you. Father, would you do this? Would you do this work that only you can do, Father? You, God, never change. You are unchanging in this picture. We are broken people who many of us in this room know you and love you, and yet we wander, and we change, and yet tonight, God, we come back as church people representing you To say, Lord, would we be holy as you are holy? And would that come from the grace that you've shown us? You met us with grace, God. You didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. Would we hear that tonight? Would we be moved by that tonight? And would we plant ourselves in you, this God who's never changed? You never stopped loving us. You you are our foundation. Plant us there, Father. Do what only you can do in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. What a good message from Ben. The truth that our holiness always comes from God's grace is crucial to us living a life set apart. It never comes from our ability or our force of will, but from focusing on the grace of God. So if you want to know what that looks like or you'd like to talk about how to live that out, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you have a blessed week.